Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, coming up, I'm going to let you in on the way to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. That's BlueChew.com. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, it has finally arrived. I kind of hinted at this for weeks. I told you about going on the shoot. I uh, made mention of a few things we did. We had a blast. It is out. And I can even tell you the name of the episode because it reeks of awesomeness. Edge and Christian show, right? It's called Moonies. (laughs) It is uh, a spoof on the movie Goonies that uh, those two geniuses, Edge and Christian, came up with. Uh, It's out on the network. And uh, from what I'm hearing, because honestly, I haven't watched it yet, but I've been, because I'm kind of enjoying just hearing from people who have watched it and looking at some of the comments up there. I have actually watched a couple of the clips, which I think are just insane. But I hope you get a chance to catch it on the WWE Network. That's the uh, the new um, season of Edge and Christian the show that reeks of awesomeness, and this is the Moonies show. And uh, we really did have uh, an unbelievable uh, time shooting that. We did it over a couple of days back east. Uh, You remember back when I told you about when we were doing it. And uh, now they've glued it all together. So it uh, it would make no sense. It's just it is a wild ride. So I I hope you guys check it out, okay? (laughs) Because... It, uh, from what I've seen, it looks pretty crazy. And I knew at the time, uh, what was going on, but man, it, uh, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's out there. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, if you saw the first episode, then you know what you're in for. Um, guys, uh, we have uh, had some incredible guests over the past few weeks, especially our female guests here on PTSM. It's taken a while. What's wrong with you, Mooney? Uh, and you guys definitely let us know uh, about uh, how you really enjoyed hearing from those guests, Vicky Guerrero and, of course, Wendy Richter. And, uh, you know, I've talked a little bit about the growth of the podcast. I mean, it's been it's been tremendous. It's been great. Every every uh, week, every month, we're seeing the numbers go up. Um, but uh, what we now have been seeing, which is really interesting, is um, a double spike in downloads on some of these episodes. And what I mean by that is that you know, we always see a big spike on Wednesdays when we drop the episode, when it's, you know, 6 a.m. Uh, EST, Eastern Time. And then typically, you know, you'll just see it gradually 
the downloads will decrease. You know, we get to keep track of this. But what is happening now is that a day or two after, we're seeing another big spike, almost as big as the, the one we have the first day. Uh, you know, in the case of last show with the Wendy Richter, it was an even bigger spike than the first day when it dropped. So it's it's uh, really awesome to see this. And, you know, I don't understand the metrics on how this all works, but um, I, I have my own theories. One of them is, you know, I just think a lot of it can be attributed to people getting the word out. Uh, we've had, you know, a lot of people that after they see an episode, they say, you know, hey, you know, check this episode out. And I, I saw a lot of a lot of those comments about Wendy Richter and, you know, a few of the blog sites picked up on on the episode and they got the word out on that. But, uh, you know, that really is a great episode. And if you haven't heard it yet, you know, you really do need to because, you know, Wendy is just an incredible person. She is somebody who, uh, you know, has lived her life by her own terms all along the way. And uh, as uh, she described, uh, the original screw job, uh, not the one in Montreal, and uh, this took place at the garden involving the fabulous moolah. And uh, as you found out in that episode, if you, if you listen, not a big fan of uh, uh, the fabulous one. And uh, just, just a great episode. But um, really, uh, I, I love seeing this. I, I, I want to thank you guys out there for, because that's what it really comes down to, is uh, you know, the fact that you're, you're helping this podcast, podcast grow and it's it's awesome. It's really awesome to see. So keep it up. Uh, also, you can help us out by giving us uh, a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, I don't really understand how that works either, but they tell me that it really, really does help to help us grow our numbers. And of course, the biggest way you can help us is by engaging with our tremendous sponsors uh, of Primetime with Sean Mooney. That's how we keep this podcast free. So you can keep downloading it at uh, no cost. Uh, we love it uh, being free, uh, but we want to keep doing it. So, uh, you know, when I do a live read, you know, you hear we do these commercials inside of the uh, podcast, um, you know, engage our sponsors. Uh, we really need you to do that for us. It helps us out uh, a great deal. If it's something you're interested in, please do it through uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. Use that promo code. Primetime is what do they use on a lot of these. And uh, take advantage of the great offers that uh, we give you. And uh, you're going to be helping out the podcast a great deal. So if you want to keep this phenomenal podcast uh, to keep coming your way with so many great guests, help us out by uh, engaging with our fantastic sponsors. All righty. As I mentioned, uh, uh, Wendy Richter, I want to thank her again for uh, coming on. Uh, that was really a great, uh, candid interview. And, of course, Wendy pulled no punches. But uh, now it's time to get to our guest this week. And you know, I, I think I've told you before, I began my career working for Major League Baseball production. So I hope that uh, you're going to allow me to use kind of a baseball analogy uh, describing our our guest this week. Um, you know, he reminds me of a baseball player, you know, like who worked his ass off, you know, in the minor leagues, and then he makes it to the big show, the big leagues, and, you know, has a really great, solid professional career. And then along the way, he discovers, you know, that uh, you know, he's pretty good at teaching this game, you know, to others and training them, you know. And, uh, you know, in baseball, they become coaches and managers. Well, for Dr. Tom Pritchard, who's our guest this week, uh, uh, his world uh, was one of professional wrestling. And um, not only did he have a great uh, career in wrestling, uh, but also he's become known as one of the greatest uh, trainers out there in the business. So let's get to his story. What do you say? Ding, ding, ding. 
Uh, folks, it's really interesting that I never got the chance to really get to know Dr. Tom Pritchard during my time with the WWF because I worked so closely with his brother, you know, Bruce. But uh, he is uh, certainly well-known throughout the industry, has been for decades, having had quite a career in uh, several territories, including Continental Championship Wrestling, the USWA, uh, so many others, and of course, the WWF, WWE. Uh, but he's also known as one of the premier wrestling trainers in the world, and I know I can say that uh, confidently. Dr. Tom Pritchard, welcome to Primetime. Sean, thank you so very, very much. When I saw you the other day in uh, North Carolina, it was uh, very, very cool. And when you asked me to be on the podcast, I thought, well, that would be a very, very nice thing to do. So thank you for having me on. And you're right. Uh, we did kind of cross uh, like two boats in the middle of the night, I guess, or two ships in the middle of the night when I was there. So uh, at least we get to catch up now. Yeah. And it's funny how this works, uh, how people, you know, the, in this industry, uh, you know, people go in and out and they have different things happen. And, but, uh, you know, these, these ships keep passing. And, uh, I saw you at WrestleCade, which was a great, uh, weekend. And, uh, it, those are a lot of fun. I don't know how many you do. I don't get a chance to do too many of them, but it's, it's, uh, it's awesome to, you know, see a lot of these people that you worked with. Uh, thank God some of them are still here, yeah. but, uh, do you enjoy doing those? I, I really do. And, and, uh, the last six years I've done, uh, uh, quite a few, there's a, a fellow in Dandridge, Tennessee, right outside of Knoxville, who usually brings me in for three crows production. His name is Brian Logan. And, uh, he's brought me in for uh, gosh, I don't know how many over the years, but it's been great. And the, the thing I always find myself doing is I leave the table because I'll see somebody or somebody will see me and come over right. and we'll start talking. Yeah. And, uh, that goes for about 30, 45 minutes. And then I missed about three or four different people coming by to buy yeah. stuff. So, but that's always fun. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's great. And you've got a lot going on right now. This the timing, as I said, is, is good here because, uh, you've got uh, a big premiere happening in January, uh, you've hooked up with the the mayor of Knox County, uh, Glenn Jacobs. Uh, people may know him as Kane, but uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about that. But uh, how did this union come together? It seems uh, like it was, uh, you know, was perfectly uh, perfect time for it to happen. Well, it, it actually was, and it actually is. You know, I moved uh, back to Knoxville uh, about six years ago mm. uh, from Tampa after I was. Uh, uh, release from FCW and Glenn was living in Knoxville. It's still living in Knoxville, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, my wife started working for him at his insurance company mm -hmm. and, uh, we had known each other, of course, through the years and, uh, we would socialize occasionally, but, uh, you know, he was busy. He was still on the road and still, uh, uh, doing things here and there and, and very, very active. So, but we would get together on occasion and then he decided to run for mayor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course my wife, uh, got very involved in the campaign, which kind of brought me into the campaign as well. And one night at an event, he pulled me aside and, and asked me what I thought about doing a school in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I tried to do it before and it just wasn't the time it, it wasn't at all. But right now, with the uh, independent scene the way it is and yeah. uh, what they did in Chicago, Cody and the Young Bucks and, and everybody yeah. involved in that, man, it was a, what, a, what a fantastic show. I mean, 10,000 screaming fans, I think, just proved that there is still a market for a different flavor out there. So mm -hmm. uh, Glenn wanted to know what, what I thought about uh, 
the possibility of doing a, a school in Knoxville. And I thought, man, I don't know, man. But, but one thing led to another. And, uh, eventually we, we came up with a location here in Knoxville mm-hmm. called D one sports. And, uh, we can get into this now if you like, if, if that's cool. Yeah. And we'll, we're going to circle back around to it because okay. there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, uh, your philosophy and the theory of it, but there's a lot of things I want to cover in between. So, but really let's get it out. I mean, I know it's the premieres happening in what January 3rd and folks, it's, uh, the, the Jacobs Pritchard, uh, wrestling Academy, JPWA and, uh, you know, like you mentioned, this is a, a good time for it because I was at StarCast and at All In. And I'll tell you, Tom, I was so impressed. I went there not really knowing uh, much about what was really happening in that world. Of, you know, I, I'd seen it from the being on the uh, the outside looking in. But to be around those guys and to see what Cody was doing and the young bucks. And then you had a lot of these old school guys that were there. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were, there was so much respect shown and, uh, I, I'm seeing these young guys, uh, looking to these old school guys and saying, okay, you know, we respect the product, but then we are bringing it along to a new level, which I think the old school guys really liked it. It was just really awesome to see. And I, I, I was, I left Chicago, uh, feeling very, uh, you know, optimistic about what's ahead. And I think that your school fits right into this. Well, it, you know, I watched the show too. I bought it. And it was very interested, and, and and with everything that happened, it was uh, it was a great vibe. And yeah. uh, you know, real quick, uh, the fellow that broke me into the professional wrestling a guy named Paul Bosch in Houston, he used to say, um, you know, I like strawberries, and mm-hmm. uh, I also like to go fishing. But when I go fishing, I put worms on the hook. You know, I'm trying to catch fish. I want to give them what they like. So it's the same thing in wrestling. You know, you give the fans what they like. And there's obviously a market out there. Uh, There's there's a a genre or a group of people who want to see that type of wrestling, that type of action. So what we're going to provide at the JPWA uh, is a basic foundation. And we're going to show you what you need to know if you want to go to the next level, but also just what you need to know if you want to have fun and and uh, get on the independence, or if you just want to learn the art of professional wrestling. So we're going to be training five nights a week, and it's going to be four hours a wow. night. Yeah, that's a lot, that's man. A, I realize that, too. Yeah, you're taking uh, a lot. Yes. Yes. And it's going to be me doing the training. So, uh, right now the time is going to be from six to 10, but I have to, uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, adjusting in this first class. We're going to see if people can make it, uh, at that time, you know, I realize people have jobs and school and things like that, but we're, we're going to do at least four hours a night, one hour devoted to strength and conditioning one night devoted to character, uh, development and promos and uh, the rest is going to be in ring and what you need to know what you should know uh, what you should learn mm-hmm. and be aware of um, yeah. I, you know i wish i wish wrestling schools were around when i was breaking in but it was a different era different time different business so today we know um that there are different avenues wwe is not the only game in town anymore mm-hmm. and if you're talented and you look the part you you are the part then uh there's a lot of opportunities out there and we're going to try and afford as many people as we can those opportunities yeah and there, and there really is when you mentioned that and uh you look at people like cody who uh they're basically deciding their own destiny here they're they've taken in the young bucks and 
They've also shown you can make a pretty, you can make a damn good living outside. You don't have to go to the big show to WWE necessarily. Uh, it certainly is uh, an option. But now these guys are doing their own merchandise. They're, you know, they're they're social media savvy, and they know how to connect with these fans. And uh, I really, I want to get back to all this, and we'll talk about the school more. But um, I, I really want to get back to the beginning to sh- to just kind of trace your path on on what led you here. Um, I mentioned, you know, a lot of people and I have over the uh, over the course of this this podcast. You know, I worked with your brother uh, Bruce, and uh, he was really my first boss when I went to the WWF. I was green as you could possibly be. I didn't know anything about the business, and I grew, owe a great debt to him for uh, helping me along. Uh, you know, teaching me, making you know, smartening me up, and a few, you know, a bunch of others, of course, uh, Lord Alfred and uh, Gino or Gorilla Monsoon, but. Um, you know, you guys are are quite a family. I think there's are there five brothers. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, man, it was it was it was a hell of a time growing up. I, I was see, like, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. And I know that you ended up in Houston, but I think you were born in El Paso, right? Right, right. And and actually, uh, you know, Bruce and I are the youngest. I'm I'm the uh, second to youngest, and Bruce is the youngest of the family. So, my older brothers, there's there's kind of a span in there. Um, you know, my my two older brothers, uh, Jerry and Ken, went to Vietnam, and they they mm-hmm. kind of, you know, did their own thing there. And Chris, he went in the army, but I don't think I think that the war was over by the time he. Uh, uh, was was enlisted and served, but you know they they were all into music, and it was Bruce and me uh, who were who were watching wrestling and uh, going that route, and we we got to watch some of the greatest stuff growing up, and we we did, we knew it was good, we knew it resonated with us, we just didn't realize that we were watching some of the best in the business at that time. You know, West Texas had the Funks. Yeah. Had Lord, we saw Lord Alfred Hayes in uh, in West Texas and in Houston, Harley Race. I mean, just some of the greatest of of uh, greatest performers of all time, and and that was back when. That's <laughs> Terry Funk. I heard him say in the dressing room one time. He said, "I was in this set when it was real," and I thought, "Yes, you were," because they <laughs> believed it. Yeah, Those it guys tough. would go out. Yeah, they they yeah. would hard way each other and they would hit each other, and you could see. Uh, the welts and the bruises and, and everybody would say, you know, that's all fake. And I thought, how in the world can you think that? But, but, you know, that's, that's what those guys did. But in, in our household, you know, we, uh, we would watch it Saturday afternoons after roller derby. And then, uh, you know, that was our afternoons and we moved to Houston, obviously, and, and got into Houston wrestling there. So, um, you know, growing up, I used to, I used to send pictures and and write articles for magazines. Norm Keitzer and Jim Melby and in, in um, Wrestling News and Wrestling Review and things like that. And it was my brother Ken who actually got me a meeting with Paul Bosch, the Houston promoter, to take mm-hmm. pictures at ringside. So from twelve years old uh, up until I was like uh, six to fifteen, I think it was the summer I, would, I turned. I was going to turn 16. I, I had my learner's permit to drive. Uh, I was taking pictures at ringside. Then I became, uh, I was started working at the Houston wrestling office, which is a whole different story in itself during the summers up until I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, once I graduated from high school, I started working in the office full time in Houston. And, uh, when I turned 20, I had my first match 
and never looked back, man. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of a, I don't think I ever had a normal childhood because my mom would take us to the matches and, and looking back on it now as an adult, looking at, you know, looking at what my mom was doing, it was, uh, it was a really cool thing. And we got to, we got to do things that, uh, uh, I felt very, very fortunate, but, but it was, it was so good because we got, got to be around this, this gypsy lifestyle, this, yeah. this, uh, carny type environment, man. And I loved every minute of it. I couldn't get enough of it, man. It was going to the Sam Houston Coliseum on a Friday night with, the all the house lights out except this one massive light over the ring and this uh, cloud of smoke uh, would cover it, man. You know, this is back when, when you could smoke in the buildings and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, I mean, what, what have we become? Uh, so, I mean, well, that was a perfect atmosphere for that. It then. was you great. Know, that was, yeah. yeah, you had to have that, right? But, but what I'm saying is, you know, who, who would take their, you know, their kids? <laughs> To to, to right. every Friday night to this this place where people are cussing, right. swearing, and, and, and a lot of fights blood fest too. They yeah, they, they, blood, they I mean, bleeding and juicing, and that was just a crowd. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah, a lot of fights were going on in the crowd right. And, right. And in the in the ring, and and uh, I I remember vividly uh, one night Gary Hart and and the Spoiler who wore a mask. I mean, yeah. just two big guys would come out of the ring, and he had the uh, American belt or championship as Vince would say. And, uh, the, the, the cops were around him, but the people just overtook the cops and Gary started swinging that belt. And it was, it was probably weighed about 20 pounds, but he yeah. swung it and the people scattered, man. But it was so, <laughs> so cool because yeah. you know, it was just chaos everywhere. Yeah. And, and that you was get away with it then boy. Now he'd be yes. sued by 20 people. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So you you guys, it seemed, and I don't know what the older brothers did or what your dad thought about all this, but it seemed that uh, you and Bruce were destined for this business because I know that early on in Bruce, that's all he thought about. Um, how did they escape that? <laughs> they, well, did they, they just have know, other interests? Yeah, they, it was music. It was when the Beatles were, uh, okay. were uh, you know popular, and, and their their deal was uh, uh, you know uh, music and and looking back on it again after and, again, and after talking to, to my older brother Ken he said you know did you ever wonder why the day after I graduated high school I just went right into the air force man I thought no I never wondered why so well let me tell you why man cuz he didn't want to be at home yeah. you know he wanted to go somewhere else too he wanted he wanted to get out of that yeah. and he he wanted he knew it was going he didn't have any other way but he knew it was going to be uh, I guess through uh, the military and uh, you know, he, he still plays music. Chris plays music, and Jerry, I think, uh, is retired in Seattle and kind of sits down and has a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned Paul Bosch, and um, and I guess that was kind of your life. You guys just hung out at the arena and did whatever you know there was to do there. But I know he had a big influence on your life because you speak very fondly of him, and he and he did have a great uh, impact on that territory and wrestling because. Uh, like you said, there was some really great roots of the business there and some really great talent that came out of there. Yeah, there, there was, you know, and I got to tell you, um, you know, again, my brother Ken got me a job one summer, uh, selling shoes at Montgomery wards and I lasted two weeks and I was yeah, in the boy. office, <laughs> man, oh, it was terrible, but, yeah. but, but, you know, I was down at the, uh, the wrestling office and I was telling the two ladies about it. And, uh, Paul walked out of his office 
from the back as I was telling one of my stories. And he says, you know, uh, that's a job that'll give you stories for a lifetime. And he, uh, this is exactly how it happened to, he says, how would you like to work here? And I thought, what? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how crazy it was. Mm -hmm. He paid me $75 a week. Uh, which was a lot of money back then, man. I was very, very happy to do that as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, during the summer. So, uh, but at the same time, he knew I wanted to wrestle. I was not a big guy. And that's what it was back then was all big man business. And, uh, he tried to discourage me as much as he could. And he never, he, he finally gave up and he finally, uh, realized later on. And he even wrote a column about it in the program that he was wrong for discouraging me all these years because he, he just, he didn't, I don't know if he didn't want me to be disappointed or whatever his intentions were, but he, he, in the end, he, he, he gave up relinquished, booked me on, uh, in Houston, booked me, booked me around the car, the, the territory. And, uh, he, he was, he was very, very, uh, instrumental in my career, no doubt. And Bruce though, he was a smart one, obviously in the family because he, he really learned the office part of it, and he learned how to uh, maneuver and uh, uh, manipulate, if you will. Yeah. Now, were you guys both performers? Uh, I mean, we all, I know Bruce. I mean, I, I remember back, well, of course, when he, he eventually you know, got, got on the stage that he wanted to be on with Brother Love. But were you guys always performers as kids, him doing the voices? And I noticed, you know, like there you did Terry, uh, Terry Funk, a pretty damn good uh, imitation. Did you guys always do that kind of stuff when you were a kid? Yeah, man. I mean, we, I started taking karate when I was 10 and, uh, our instructor, Bill Gray in Houston would take us for demonstrations and we would, uh, you know, I wanted to take bumps and I knew what it was, but I didn't know <laughs> that's what I was doing, you know? Right, and, right. and, and I would, we, we would perform in skits and things like that. So yeah. yeah, I think that was just a natural, a natural part of it. You know, we, Terry Funk in his Do you have as many day. voices as Bruce has? I mean, uh, he's probably, I think he's, he's got a whole lot more, man. He's, <laughs> he's over in Ireland right now, I think tonight, yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, having a good time and, and doing that whole gig. So, I mean, he, he, he obviously parlayed that into a, <laughs> another yeah. career. Yeah. So no, he, he's got a lot more than I do, but I've, I've, of course, after working with Dusty in Tampa for a while too, I learned how to, uh, uh, imitate the dream if you will too but we, we, i think we found a lot of light you know what i'm saying yeah. and uh the american dream was uh he was another influence later on in my life very nice so uh, but you weren't a big guy and, and i know and there and and back then it, it certainly wasn't the behemoth wrestlers but you had to be pretty good size but i think you were like you know bobby fulton size i mean you were yeah. what 165 pounds and if that and, yeah yeah and, and so uh i don't know what actually got you training uh, i think you you tell the story that uh with some other professional wrestler getting in and, and maybe they just sent you along as a body to be there but is that you know what got it going what, what it was no I, I i was training in the gym i mean i i knew i had to lift weights i knew i had to get bigger uh, and uh I, I played football in high school wasn't very good at football at all but my, that my interest wasn't even there i was just just doing that to get tough and trying yeah. to take the bumps and trying to get to uh, learn how to take punishment. Yeah. Uh, but what happened was as I was working in the office with Paul one summer, uh, there was a football player who wanted to break into the business. And back then again, 
uh, nobody was smartened up. And yeah. the way you broke in, you had somebody stretch you. And if you hung around a little longer, you know, in, in Tampa, they had a guy named Hiro Matsuda who broke Hogan's leg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just just to just to see if he'd come back, and just to yeah. just to show him it wasn't it wasn't you. easy. <laughs> test you, yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> at this time, uh, and I always brought gear. I, when I'd go to the office, I always brought workout gear just in case. I mean, you you just that was something. I remember hearing or reading when I was a kid, you know, Russell was always prepared and always brought his stuff with him. So I did, yeah. man. And uh, anyway, this football player wanted wanted to breaking the business and Gary Hart was the booker and Gary Hart and Bronco Lubitsch would travel from Dallas and come to the office in Houston, uh, you know, in the afternoon, go over the masters with Paul, then they'd go eat and then they'd go to the show and go back home. So Gary brought a guy named Mohammed Farouk, also known as the iron Sheik, uh-huh. with him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Cosro was a, uh, an Olympic wrestler and a pretty tough guy. And he was like two sixty about, about 260, cool. 265 back then. That was a Rock, giant. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He, he, was, he was pretty salty, too. Yeah. So yeah. I was going to take them to the Coliseum. Uh, Paul says, uh, Paul told me, you can go with them, take them to the Coliseum, and, and then we were going to work out. Mm-hmm. So he gave me his blessing, and we did. We went down, and now I'm, uh, you know, even though I was Paul's assistant at this time, they never really let me too far in the dressing room. I would, I would get coffee for the guys or right. I would give Paul a, a, a production sheet or whatever it may be, but it, I didn't stick around too long, you know, still kayfabe. So now I'm going to go in the Sam Houston Coliseum dressing room, get dressed and go to the ring that I've watched all these guys perform in. And I'm like, holy Christ, this yeah. is great. Yeah, so we get in there, and Cosro puts on his singlet and his amateur wrestling boots, not those uh, curled-toed uh, right. pro boots. So I'm thinking, well, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> he took us, yeah, he took us in the ring and made us do some squats, made us do some push-ups, and then he says, yeah. "Okay, now, uh, uh, you try to turn me over. I get down all my knees, hands and knees. You turn me over and again. I'm I am about a buck sixty-five right then, and um." I couldn't move him. Mm. And then he says, okay, now I try you. And he took me, and I, I always say this to this day, I don't know what. Hold <laughs> but, he, but he stretched. What it he was. Pulled, yeah. yeah, he pulled my neck back. He goes, now scream. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> so no, louder, louder. I said, okay, okay. And then he finally just pushed me away like a sack of garbage. Yeah, and like, the same uh, thing. And same thing. Yeah, to the football. He did on the Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, he did, brother. He, he did the same thing to the football player, and then he showed us how to lock up. And when he showed me how to lock up, I slapped him in the ear, and he got pissed and slapped me right back. And I went, oh, God. And my ear was ringing the rest of the night. But that, I mean, but that was, I thought, you know, that was part of it. There was nothing they could have done to me back then that would have made me say no. I was ready to do it. And and real quick, if if I can, since we're talking about stuff, just just testing all the time. There was a time in Birmingham, Alabama, when uh, Ric Flair came in, did a match, did a shot, mm-hmm. and we all go over to the Radisson. We were living in Pensacola at that time, but we had another shot up that way, so we're staying at the Radisson. And Bruce was with me on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever been out with Flair? No, I not not in that capacity. I was uh, uh, fortunately, I think, from what people tell me, I was probably 
fortunate that it didn't happen because I would have been ripe for something yeah. bad to happen to me. Yeah, well, he he uh, he liked kamikazes back then, and, yeah. and would would just get trays and trays and trays. Oh, so God. the next day, we Kevin Sullivan, Flair, and myself were we're going to go to the gym. Well, we got back to our rooms about three in the morning, and at, I think it was eight. Uh, I got a phone call. And all it was on the other other line was squats by the pool, 15 minutes, and hung up. So I'm still drunk. I get up. Bruce gets up with me. We're going down by the pool. The sun in Birmingham is, is just now coming out, and it's starting to get hot. And uh, we start with squats with the uh, deck of cards. And we each go through the deck of cards. And next thing you know, I puke. And I dive in quickly explain the deck of cards for those who don't know what that means. Well, you go through all 52 cards and whatever the face, whatever that says on the card, whether it's a Jack, you do 10. If it's an ACE, you do 11. If it's 10, you do the number of of squats that signifies on that card. So I don't know how many it is, but we all did it. And I threw up and dove in the pool, came up, says, now we're going to do push-ups. And so Christ almighty, we did push-ups. same thing. I threw up again, but I didn't quit. And I did every one of them. And Rick will tell that story on occasion too. Every time I see him, he tells that story. He starts to squat because it's something, uh, not, no, it was the only, we were the only three. Well, Bruce was out there sitting, sitting in the lawn chair, <laughs> but you know what, but Kevin and, and Rick and myself were the yeah. ones out there, you know, everybody else was in their beds and it was, uh, that's what I'm saying. You, you, I wasn't going to quit. I was going to be where I needed to be, especially yeah. back then. All right. Well, Tom, we're going to take a quick break here because, uh, you know, folks, not everybody has the intestinal fortitude or the uh, or as virile as Dr. Tom Pritchard. But come on, guys, let's be honest. Remember the days when you're always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, we love that, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Now folks, I've been telling you, the last time that Blue Chew came out, they went fast. This is your opportunity, and right now we've got a very special deal for our listeners. Just visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code, PRIMETIME. That's PRIMETIME, P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E, All you have to do is just pay $5 for the shipping. Again, that's bluechew, B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code PRIMETIME to try it all for free. Bluechew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And of course, we thank them for being one of our tremendous sponsors here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. All right, now, so let's get back, uh, Tom, to when, uh, you know, all that testing, all that uh, hard work starts to pay off. And uh, you actually start working as a professional wrestler. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure you initially started working in the Texas area. But, you know, things kept getting better and better. Yeah. Uh, I had my first match in Bryan, Texas. And then uh, the, the very next week, Boyd Pierce, the ring announcer in Houston, and, and Bill Watts, 
um, mm. commentator, uh, got me a, a shot in Shreveport, Louisiana to go to, uh, uh, work TV for Watts. And, and that was kind of cool. Buck Robley was the booker. It was the first time I ever met, a, <laughs> met Buck. Do you know, have you ever heard the name Buck Robley, Sean, by any chance? No. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. If there's yeah. any old school people, any old school guys or girls out there, just, just look up Buck Robley because again, it was a different time. It was a different era. It was a different business. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm in this dressing room with, uh, Stan Hansen, Mr. Wrestling two, Ernie Ladd, junkyard dog, uh, Gosh, the Freebirds. All these uh, great Mid-South names coming up. Yes, the Freebirds. That's where I first met Michael Terry, uh, Michael and Terry in, in Louisiana, and I had a match with them too, and Michael always remembers that as well. But they were they were good guys. Uh, but that night, or the, after the TV, you know, Buck asked me if I wanted to work, and I went with Buck. Uh, we went to the racetrack before the matches and <laughs> hung out. Of you know, again, yeah, <laughs> of course. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm learning all the habits of the eighties, you know, now he's an old time promoter. Is that Buck Robley? Buck? No, Buck yeah. was a wrestler and was booker. Okay. He, he, he had a book. Okay. Yeah. They yeah. called him uh, yellow belly Robley. Okay. Uh, but he, he I also, can't believe I've never heard of him. That's I can't believe he can't name like oh, that. I can't actually. Yeah. You have to really be a, you have to be a hardcore, uh, uh, fan or a worker to know Buck. Yeah. And he was interesting, interesting okay. guy. He, he got hit on the side of the road by a car while he was, so he pulled off to, uh, you know, relieve himself. And yeah. as he was getting back in the car, a drunk hit him and like it, it, it messed him up a little bit, but he came back to the ring and, but he, he was very, um, I, you know, some people didn't like him. I liked him a lot. He was kind of cool, yeah. you know, but well, from there, yeah, exactly. From there we, you know, I, I worked, uh, uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, um, Texas a little bit. And then I went to, uh, Los Angeles, man, and worked for Michael Bell for about a year and a half. And that was, that was very cool too. That got me my first, uh, six week tour to Japan. I worked with, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami for the WWF. I think it was WWF at that time, right. uh, with junior heavyweight championship over in Japan and in LA. So for a young well, Tom, kid, Tom, Tom though, before you get into that and, 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 uh, I, I think you make a really good pointer that, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate, but you know, you going up through the, and you kind of pass through that to where you're working for the WWF, but you had to do a lot of those, uh, you know, all night rides, the, the paying your dues, making 15, 20 bucks a night. Uh, you know, how bad did you want it? You had to have to, uh, like, live that life to call it a gypsy life, but man, you live it those first, uh, first years. You know what? See here, here's you, you were in WWF when yeah. it was just, just on the front, on the front burner, man. And they oh, were yeah. starting to sizzle, man. So right. I, I'm, I'm sure you had some crazy times, but back when it was just driving, yeah, those thousands or hundreds and yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you just drive all night. Um, I dug it, man, because you, you, you <laughs> knew nobody else was doing it. And you knew if you, if you, I, this is again, looking at it years later, you knew you loved it because you never felt like you, you belonged anywhere else, but where you were. And it was on the road, man. It was such a, I don't know if we romanticized too much about it, but I don't think so. Cause it was, uh, again, living that lifestyle of the eighties, it wasn't the healthiest, it wasn't the best, but it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun, man. And I had, I had a lot you had of your fun. share of it. Yeah, I had more than my share. I, I really did. And it, it was just, you know, I, 
did, did I pay for it? Of course. I think you cannot get out of that without paying for it, man. It was kind of like, it, it reminded me of being in a hurricane or tornado or, or being at, at sea for 40 years. And all of a sudden you step on dry land and, and they ask you, are you okay? So, well, wait a minute. No, I got to get my feet under me first because I've been doing this whirlwind for, for yeah. close to 40 years, man. And, and how like do you, like the weather guy holding onto the pole through the, yeah. Way. How do you, how do you just stop? You don't, it takes right. a while, you know, it just yeah. takes a while to dig in and, and, and slow down. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa, this is what the world's really like. Yeah. A little, little shocking at first. So was the first real steady gig was that, that, uh, time in Los Angeles, you, you spent yeah. uh, a, a quite a, a bit of time there. And, and was that, uh, you know, because before that, and, and you're working all these different territories, you're kind of picking up work wherever you can. Uh, was that where you really, uh, you know, like I said, your first real steady gig and really learn how, uh, the business of these bigger, um, uh, organizations worked? Well, I have to tell you, it, at that time in in LA uh, with LaBelle, it was business was horrible, and we we were working four nights a week, uh, and two of them were in at the Olympic Auditorium, and the other two were spot shows. Mm-hmm. So how many people are showing up for these things? Maybe maybe four hundred, five hundred, and back well, then that was terrible. Well, I mean, you know, you have a uh, a 5,000 seat arena, the yeah. Olympic auditorium is not a big place, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's, a, it was, it was a magical place though. At the same time, it had, it was a great, great wrestling vibe, great boxing vibe. They did roller derby there. It just, it had a great, had sentimental value to me too. They called Who it the some of the talents there was, was Guerrero's there were the Guerrero's. Yes. There, actually or, Chavo was uh, Chavo. booking when I went. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Chavo was Chavo was booking. Uh, Mondo was there. Uh, Eddie was just a kid. I dated Linda Guerrero at, at that really? time. That yeah. was a dangerous stuff. Ooh, brother, you yeah, ain't kidding. I was kidding. say, man, you talk she, about... Uh, <laughs> no, but she was a very nice lady. She was a very nice girl. But well, we, I just think you had to worry about the family. Yes, <laughs> yes, she did. But, I mean, no, they, I was <laughs> I was harmless back then, trust me. Uh, but we, uh, Al Madrill was there, uh, Chris Adams, uh it just that that was his first U.S. territory, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, some some crazy guys, you know. John Tolis, another old time uh, name, and I always bring this up too. Pampero, Furpo, uh, Ox Baker, um, <laughs> just just crazy, crazy, crazy people, man. Um, it was. I met Dr. Jerry Graham the first night I went to the Olympic Auditorium. He was sitting in the first dressing room and he was drunk out of his mind. <laughs> Yeah, but but you know, he, he told me to come in and sit down and and ask ask me my name and ask where I was from, and then I told him I broke in with Paul Bosch, and that started the whole conversation rolling, and yeah. that was so cool because these are the guys, you know, when I, when I, uh, in Houston I started working out in the gym with Mark Lewin, and uh, if you know anything about Mark, mm-hmm. uh, he's a crazy guy too. Uh, I mean, he was insane. He was a big part of. Uh, he was a big part of my induction into the eighties lifestyle as well. So <laughs> it's like uh, the way you put that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could put it on the lifestyle. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and he, he, all these, all these guys kind of intertwined. And I realized that, uh, once I got there, because, you know, they all had stories about Mark. They all had stories about Ken Curtis and all the craziness that was really going on. Now I was experiencing it firsthand. And I thought not bad. I mean, it was, it was, uh, 
you were living on the edge of the lightning bolt a lot of times and you were living on the edge of uh sometimes a cliff but uh it was it was a lot a lot of learning it was a lot of fun and like you talk about those all night road trips man i mean you're 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 there with um ox baker who was an interesting fellow in himself mm-hmm. uh and and they they would they would tell these fantastic stories that you say there's no way that happened and then you experience the same type of story or same type of uh, uh happening with them and you're going oh my god did that just happen did those uh let me see how i can say this did did those people actually come and go out of our hotel room yeah <laughs> and and did we just do what i thought we did and we did uh, one day, you uh, once everything's cleared, uh, you'd be able to. You got to write these down for some people. Uh, you know what? And yeah, uh, one day. Guy, no, no. Well, listen. There's already been a guy who who asked me to write a book, and we started it, and we he he said, oh, really? yeah, he started the draft, man. But you know, here's the thing, Sean. I, and I told him, I, I don't know that I really want to tell because if I if I tell this story, I have to tell the next one. If I if I don't, then this one's not going to make any sense. And there's so yeah. much. And I don't know if the statute of limitations are up on a lot of this stuff. So <laughs> we I'm laugh, serious. we yeah, laugh, yeah. but yeah. I mean, God almighty, it was, a, it was an insane time. Yeah. It really was, man. Do, do you know, have you ever heard of Manny Fernandez real oh, quick? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Manny Fernandez, Chavo Guerrero, and a guy named yeah. Tiger Way Jr. Uh, took myself and Terry Allen under their wing in San Antonio and it was every bit of insanity and, and craziness that, that you can imagine um, with guys in their early 20s and guys who've been around and guys who can get anything they want. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just kind of where it went. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you mentioned it before. I mean, this seemed it was kind of your university to professional wrestling that uh, you're learning all the way uh, along. I don't know if you realized it back then that you uh, – I don't know. Had a gift for this. Uh, maybe it didn't. It took a, you know more time in the business. But I know that you talk about uh, you know the psychology of this and and basically knowing your gimmick or knowing who your character is. Did you start to? Uh, I don't know if you start putting some of this stuff away when you're around these people because there's a lot of guys that go through the business and they don't pay attention uh, either. They, because they have the athleticism, because they have the look or something. But uh, do you remember even then, though, starting to uh, take in this and evaluate, like, how you would pass this on? I, I don't know how else to put it. Well, I, I don't necessarily think it was um, uh, thinking along the lines of how I would pass it on. But at the same time, I do remember the guys who, who passed on uh, their feelings and their knowledge. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is I remember the guys who treated me well, and I remember the guys who didn't treat me so well, um, who took the time and, and told me what I was doing wrong and also, uh, took the time to explain what I needed to do right. And all I really wanted to do was wrestle. I had no interest whatsoever ever in ever being in the office or doing anything else but being in the ring. Mm-hmm. You don't know, I, I would truly believe this, I don't think you know if you can coach or teach until you start coaching and teaching. So I taught karate for two years before I uh, uh, actually got had my first match. Mm-hmm. And I, I 
felt like I had a knack for that, but karate was not my first passion. Right. That was again another avenue, another step to just get to wrestling. But once you once I got into this, you know, guys like Piper, um, uh, Piper, <laughs> and even Dusty Rhodes, uh, Briscoes, um, my God, Tommy Rich at that time too in Georgia. Yeah, I just I just remember those guys being at that time in the early '80s, especially uh, the guys who would take the time to treat the younger guys well and not be complete assholes mm-hmm. to them. And there were other guys who, who uh, didn't want you to get their spot. They were bitter that you were coming in. Uh, but I, I don't, I think at that time, all I was concerned about was wrestling and just getting in there and, and performing later on, as I got older and, and turned 30, mm-hmm. um, you know, I thought, well, which is yeah, old man. in the business, dude. You think, <laughs> whew, you're not kidding. My neck was already killing me, and by the time I got yeah. to WWE, I was dying. Yeah. But you know, uh, I thought, no. I mean, I remember how the guys were when they broke in. I remember how I was when I broke in, and uh, if I could, if I could tell them anything at all, and I knew nothing back then. I thought, but I, at the same time, uh, you know, you have your way, I have my way, but the right way, the only way does not exist. So there's just this way or that way. It's different flavors of ice cream and it's different for everybody. So what works for me may not work for you and vice versa. So once I figured out if I told somebody something or gave them advice, if they asked me, Mm -hmm. I'd be more than happy to. Yeah. But at the time you weren't, weren't thinking about that way. You were just thinking about, you know, becoming successful in the business. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think I was having, just thinking about having more fun. Yeah. Really? Well, so that that's, uh, it, the, the other part just came along with it, but uh, there were some really good years uh, when, I don't know if it, if it's you credit it with the, the NWA years or whatever, but when did it kind of really all come together you for you and, and as far as it being in the ring? Uh, well, the, go ahead. No, I mean, I apologize, man. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the gun too, but I remember, I remember when it really did click with me when I felt, yeah, this, this feels right. And it was in Louisiana. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, I've had a lot of time to look back on, on where I've been and what I've done. Yeah. Bill Watts, um, some guys like him, some guys don't, but looking back on how he treated me, especially how he treated me, he was more than fair and he was, he was more than giving guys an opportunity. And I was going through a particularly rough, uh, time and I would go to the ring. I'm supposed to be this young baby face and I would go to the ring every night with a, an attitude. And, and I just, I, I was hating life, but when I got in the ring, I was, I was feeling it. But Bill came, I came back to the dressing room one night and Bill came right up to me. I thought he was going to yell at me for something, but he says, have you ever thought about being a heel? I said, every day. (laughs) And he said, yeah, we're, we're going to make you a heel. I see that. And I thought, wow. So now I have an opportunity, you know, being the bad guy is really, really fun. And the heel calls the match too, or that's the way it was at that time. And he turned me. You got to call matches in the ring. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. There's another lost art. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something else we're going to talk about at the school. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so when I, when I turned heel, um, against Tim Horner in Louisiana, that's when I really finally felt like now I have an opportunity to really create and I have an opportunity to, uh, 
to see if I can really call this and really do this. And I, and I found that I was a lot more comfortable putting people over in the ring in that way, you know, making, making them look good made me look, look good too. If I can take somebody and make them look good, well, hell, uh, let's put him with anybody. And that's not always the best spot to be in, trust me, but it was what I, what I thought I could, uh, could, uh, contribute, I guess. Well, and, and that's, you know, uh, a lot of people, um, say that about when they become a heel, but it's, it's also, and I, and we'll get more into this cause I want to talk to you more about the psychology of, of, uh, of the business and, and, and what you do in the ring. But is it also just a matter of like becoming who you are? I think that that's one thing that I, that, uh, you know, you saw a lot early on is you see a guy that had everything, uh, the athleticism. The, the looked great, had the physique, and yet they just were kind of this, you know, there was nothing behind those eyes in a sense because they didn't, they had a gimmick, but they didn't know what to do with it or, or know how to live it. And, um, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's just becoming a heel, but I think you said, you mentioned like you were more comfortable with that. Is that uh, maybe a point where you kind of found that? Where yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, and and we attributed the the quote to Kid Rock. You know, if it looks good, you'll see it. If it sounds good, you'll hear it. If it's marketed right, you'll buy it. But if it's real, you will feel it. And that's what people are missing today. I think you feel who you are, and people will feel it too. Uh, you know, if you you get up and 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 you sing a song, you know, some people mm-hmm. can just sing a song. But man, have you ever seen Aerosmith in concert? Have you yeah. ever watched them perform? I I have on on like four different occasions, and every time, man, I, I think they're in their seventies now, right? Yeah. Steven Tyler, close to late sixties. Yeah, they, yeah, they're all that. <laughs> We're exactly. Yeah. But, but they still rock and, yeah. and they still go out and they feel it, man. You you can't tell me Steven Tyler's not having a blast, and he's he's friggin' 70 or close to 70 years old. That's what it is. I mean, they are who they are. Yeah. Um, and the same thing in this business, you know, Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. There's only one, there's only one yeah. Hulk Hogan. There was only one American dream. And then when you really get to know these people, it's not a gimmick. It's just them with the, their persona turned up, you know, to past 10, you know, this, yeah. this, this dog goes to 11 and, um, that's what it is. That's what it was with me. I, I wasn't feeling like a nice guy. I don't like people. I really don't. I was getting my hair longer. I could hide behind the hair. It was, it God, was, I saw was, a match with you and Brett. My God, your hair was, I think almost down to your backside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It, you know, it's a, it's a shield. It's something. Yeah, you use. Really? And, and that's, that's pretty much how, how I felt, um, you know, for the better part of my career, I was always, I always had this chip on my shoulder, but I always had this, you know, things that happen through life and we all go through it. Uh, we just, we, we, I had a, I had an opportunity, uh, to vent every night. I had an opportunity to go out and have fun and, and, and people yell at me, I can yell back, whatever, man. It was just, yeah, if you are who you are and people really are interested in it, I mean, uh, that's the key. And you're right. There's been some guys who just, they might look great, but you're just not feeling it. You just don't, you don't resonate and you have to communicate. And, and you have the, I always ask guys in the class, why should I watch you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, why should I care? Well, and I think, and, and you've mentioned before, and uh, you've told the story on occasion, uh, about Steve Austin and, and he talks about it too, how, uh, I think you asked him, you know, what, what is, who is stunning Steve? 
and right. he couldn't answer you. Right. And it that was maybe, I mean, it eventually led to Stone Cold, but it seemed like that was the beginning of him realizing, you know what, if I can't be who I am, I'm never going to succeed. Right. And that that's the thing. I think that was where I started uh, uh, getting into that. I don't don't even remember why I asked him that, but we were riding with uh, with Brian Lee and he was calling himself primetime Brian Lee and asked him the same question. Yeah. Why primetime? And he said, primetime Deion Sanders. I said, okay, but I don't get it. Why primetime Brian Lee? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I've done that with a few people. I asked a kid at, at WrestleCade, as a matter of fact. They had a show uh, the night before, and mm-hmm. I, I watched, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name, as a matter of fact, but he worked with a guy named Mick Drake, mm-hmm. and they were asking me about their match. And I asked him, who are you? What are you? And I said, I'm a babyface from uh, Seattle. <laughs> yeah, okay, and? <laughs> why, why should I care about a babyface from huh. Seattle? He said, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you into? So I, he had long hair and a beard. And he told me rap music and something else. I don't even remember now. But I said the same thing to him. You have to find out, man, why. Why would people care about you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see a performance. I want to see matches. But I, but I also want to see something different. You don't want to go to the show to see your next-door neighbor. And, and Jimmy Hart always says this, too. You know, if you dress like the crowd – Pretty soon you'll be back in the crowd. So mm. wear something different. Look different. Don't be like the guy that you, you know you see in the third row because eventually you'll be back in that third row. No, man. Wearing other people, wearing other things that nobody wears is exactly what you need to do. Or thinking the way nobody else thinks. And sometimes I will riddle everything I can, not even knowing what I'm saying, just so people look at me and say, "What did he just say?" Yeah, yeah, just to have fun. And I tell them, I'll cut promos. <sighs> Not cut promos, but just have fun. When I go to a store, when I order something uh, through drive-through, from just 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 to get a just to, to have fun and, and promo, um, and make people wonder. You know, don't don't tell people too much about yourself. Have some mystery about you, man. And and that's what a lot of people aren't doing today. And I used this example the other night too. Dean Ambrose is a guy who walked into FCW, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the biggest guy. But he was the that that interesting guy who wasn't a character, but he was. But he wasn't. He 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 knew enough to keep parts of his life to himself and not tell everybody every little thing, mm-hmm. and it made you wonder about him. Mm-hmm. And and that's what you want to do. I mean, it's with any, I think any form of entertainment, you you don't want them to feel you don't want your favorite superstar or movie star wrestler football player whatever it may be you don't want them to be just like you You want them to be larger than life you want them to be different not saying they have to be jerks but they have to be special and that's that's what we uh (laughs) that's what i think well and and uh you know you talk about the, the talent today and i i think it's a combination of things but when you compare them to the you know the era that I was privileged to be a part of, uh, there was no mistaking those characters. I mean, Randy was like you you know there was one Hulk Hogan, there was one Randy Savage yes. who developed that character. But you know he wasn't after a while. You didn't. There was no difference of him out of the ring or him backstage. Randy was Randy, right? And he and you said you know don't dress like the crowd. My God, there was nobody who dressed differently than Randy, and and you know his wardrobe was. He'd have three outfits for one night sometimes, right. depending on what he was involved in. 
and uh, and and they were given that opportunity to develop that character because they basically the words that came out of their mouths were theirs. They knew their storyline. But I remember when we would go to tapings. You know, we had the big uh, uh, shack where we did the interviews, and there'd be guys outside there going over what they were going to say. Uh, you know, there were some that basically just needed to know, okay, I, I'm, we're going from here to here. But there was others that really had to, you know, but they, it was their words. And so that, there was that believability, I thought, was much more real than today than where you see where a lot of it is scripted. And I, I don't fault the talent. I think that there's probably some awesome, tremendous talent there. I, I know there is, but they're not given that opportunity. And uh, maybe that is what's missing in a sense, you know, maybe just to let go again, because you hear people like Steve Austin, you hear people like, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson say, when I finally just said, you know what, F it, screw it. I'm just going to go and, and this is me. And that's changed the world for them. And, uh, I, you know, and, and maybe they don't get enough time even to do it these days. But I think that that's the core of it, that that was that came from inside those guys. Well, again, I don't I don't know how it became from uh, uh, what it was to to now two groups of writers or whatever, whatever they have, because yeah. I really don't know how they many didn't they have. have writers back then. No, they you didn't. Know? That's, they that's didn't, what I'm saying. A, they didn't. Yeah. You just had guys. But what you have to remember, you had guys like like Randy, you had guys like Jake who had lived through the territories, who had life experiences, who did crazy things right. before they got there, who, who experienced life on a different level than these yeah. guys experience it now. I, I, I was looking at a reading an interview with Big Show the other day where he said – he was surprised how everybody was so nice these days playing video <laughs> games yeah. because in his day, everybody was fighting and it was, a, it was a shark tank. Yeah. And, and I understand that, man. I was, look, when I was there, I was just happy to be there. You can't be just happy to be there. If you were going to be successful, I knew that I understood that, but there were other issues going on too, that, that for me, but what, what everyone needs to understand to be successful, you have to take chances. You have to take those risks. You have to step out. Not everybody's willing to do that. Not everybody wants to make any any waves, and and I understand that, but that's not the way you're going to make it. You know, Brock Lesnar is the most dominating guy in this business today because he is Brock Lesnar. He's a business businessman, mm -hmm. but he's Brock Lesnar. He, there's nothing phony about him. He knows how to act and um, react backstage where, again, going back to not letting everybody know who you really are because it's, you don't let your guard down. But these days, it, it is. It's too sanitized to a point. And in the, uh, in the days before, can you see anyone getting bit by a cobra today? <laughs> I mean, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, oh that God, was, I, that was pretty heavy, man. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that these days. Yeah. The, the greatest, yeah, one of the yeah, greatest. Yeah, man. The, the uh, culture's changed. The world's changed. You know, the country's changed. People's attitudes have changed. And uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know what the solution is because they don't have the same experiences available to them that we did. There's not going up and down the road. There's not the uh, opportunity to learn from guys like Dr. Jerry Graham or Mark Lewin or Kevin Sullivan or, you know, th they have Michael Hayes. But, you know, Michael, um, 
I think Michael's one of the smartest guys in business, but, but, you know, he's, he's a creature of, of the, of his environment too, you know, sometimes. And, and you can't, you can't have everybody doing the same thing, being outrageous. You need to have outrageous from the heart. And that's why I think Ambrose is so great. I think Kevin Owens was pretty damn good too. He's, he was a real guy too. Yeah. But you, you mentioned that and, and, uh, you know, uh, time and time again, Tom, on this podcast, you've, I've had, you know, guys on and they talk about how much, uh, of a debt of gratitude they have for these old school guys from those hours and hours of riding in cars and they just would pick their brains and they, that's how the business was passed along. And, and you, they, what, when does that happen now? When are they able to even do that? That's not the, you know, and, and whatever technology has changed, travels changed the business, the WWE has certainly changed dramatically, but you know, you can't, that can't be bought. That can't be set up. That just happened. And that's how, and, and, and even back then, you know, you had the families, you had the, the generations and old school, it was, you know, kayfabe. And when I came in there, man, uh, it, Nobody basically talked to me for a year it, uh, before I was accepted. <laughs> right. I won't even say became one of. I I never became one of them. I always that was one thing that you know Alfred Hayes t- laid on me right away early on. Uh, he said you're never going to be one of them. Just always remember that. But you know it was good in a sense for the business because that you know that old school uh, attitude permeated throughout the business. It's certainly not that way now, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you know, like Smoky Mountain Wrestling that you spent time with, and that was kind of the way you know they did a they were working together with the World Wrestling Federation, uh, and you worked you know like Jim Cornette was there. I mean, that must have been talk about a university. Uh, that was graduate school, probably. Yeah, man, it, it, it was it was very cool. But you know, not just riding in the cars, but sometimes you know everybody would congregate in one room, and and or the doors would be open. You get the the five rooms together, and, and yeah. everybody would have the open doors and just go from one room to the next, yeah. and and whatever. Uh, whatever was going on at the time, there was always some kind of conversation to, to, to accompany that, you know what I mean? Whether you were drinking, uh, or doing whatever you were doing, uh, there was always a conversation that would come back around the curve about what, what we did that night or what we're going to do the next night, or what about if we did this next week or what about the next angle? And it wasn't always wrestling. And sometimes there was a lot of a lot of other things going on too, but, yeah. but a lot of the times it was because that was our life and that was what we did. And, and you had to wrestle every week. WWE's whole business model. You're right. It's just been, uh, reformulated, recalculated. They have the performance center. Now, uh, they had training centers before OVW. I thought was one of the great ones. FCW. I thought was a great one too. Mm-hmm. It's just, you don't have the opportunity um, that we did. It, the, yeah. it, the culture in this country is so different. Drugs are not just say no, no. Well, we just said no. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was. Yeah. It, but nowadays, the kids are learning about how to save their money, invest their money. They're learning. Yeah. You know, drugs will hurt you. Drugs will kill you. Yeah. And back then, you know, guys my age that were going through the territories. We learned from old school guys who who didn't care or didn't know or didn't really um, accept the fact that you know you can't do whatever it is you want to do every single night of your life and expect to live very long. 
So I, I, said, I just well, I remember some of those days I couldn't believe these guys because I'd see them the night before and you know they show yeah, up in the oh. ring and they perform tremendously and you'd be going oh, these guys are inhuman, but uh, you're right. I mean, it eventually, uh, unfortunately, it did catch up with many of them later in life, and 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 it's it's great that they are taking better care of themselves. I think just as far I think the the thing that we miss the most, at least I do, is the the ability to tell stories. Um, and that is, you know, they did four paper pay-per-views back then, Tom, when we, you know, when I was there. And so you got to build these great storylines. You could, for months, uh, you'd tease them every week without you know, them even stepping in the ring at the same time together. Uh, and you could just build this and b- before people were ready to tear the house down, you know, give it to us. Uh, now, you know, every two weeks, it, it, it's a whole new storyline. So you can't, uh, really, and I think that's what it comes down to for me is, is just telling stories. That's that's what you guys are when it comes down to it. Right, and and I don't know that uh, uh, everybody understands that. I mean, mm. I, I'm sure they talk about it, and yeah. at uh, at the performance center in Orlando, I know they do that. Uh, they have a lot of great coaches down there too, and they they talk yeah. about storytelling. Um, and they come from the, most of those guys come from the territories. Hell, you have Shawn Michaels, Terry Taylor. Uh, Norman Smiley, who I think is one of the greatest in-ring coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, ever. And uh, but but it's all about storytelling. It's all about why would we watch that story? Why would we uh, be interested in the story? And and you're right, man. It it, it was so spread out, but then it's got you know it, the short attention span. Uh, if, if you're not in that main event, or if you're not in that uh, next pay-per-view, I mean, people forget about you real, real yeah. fast. Yeah, and, and uh, so looking back with your in, your experience with the WWF, WWE, um, first as as a wrestler, uh, you know, uh, you had quite a bit of success, you know, with, as the he- Heavenly Bodies and uh, later with the, the, the Body Donnas. Um, what was, when you look back, to, and, and then we'll get into how you made that transition into actually training a lot of these guys, but uh, what was that experience like for you? Well, you know, when we went there, uh, originally it was with, with Smoky Mountain and we didn't expect to, to get signed right away. We, we knew what I, I knew what the deal was. I, I, I had a real good idea. Once we got there our first night, what they were looking to do was, uh, have Jim Cornette as Yokozuna's American spokesman. And that's cool. And they brought us along yeah. because they were thinking Smoky Mountain might end up being a developmental territory and supplement, uh, WWF with talent. Mm-hmm. So that was cool with us. I mean, that was cool with me anyway. And then when we got signed, I mean, once again, it's, it's <sighs> anything that happened. I look in the mirror and have to have to face that, that that's, that's me for any, any success or not non-success. It, it's all on me. But when you have a relative in the office or somebody like who's especially that close to Vince and, and Pat, yeah. Places, you know, I never wanted to ask anybody for favors, never wanted to ask anybody for, for anything. And that could have been my downfall because I pretty well isolated. But but I had a great time. So you I, went I, further the other way instead I did. of. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And that, that, that might have hurt me. I'm sure it did. At the same time, um, I've been that way my whole life. So it was just a natural thing to do. Uh, but I did. I had a great time. I, I didn't like the body Donos so much. That was a pretty horrible thing. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it really was. Man. I, I love Chris. Even. They're like, what did that oh, body done? So like, God, God, it was, it was yeah. just, it, it was what it was. And then it was suggested, how would you like to cut your hair, dye it blonde? I said, absolutely not. They said, oh, okay, click. And then I thought, well, it's just hair. And between now and then, maybe I can talk myself out of it or talk them out of it. And uh, never happened. But, you know, man, I, listen, I, I really had a good time there. I, I, I was thankful even to have the opportunity to be on that stage. Look, I, I wrestled Brett. I wrestled Sean. I wrestled uh, some really great guys there. And, I, and it, it worked into training. Um, so, I mean, I have nothing to complain about. I have nothing to uh, uh, point to and say, that's because, and, and, and because you didn't do this, and I didn't do that. And they, no, 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 man. It was, it was, it was played it out the way it was supposed to play out. And, and looking back, um, you know, I think, I think it worked for the better because uh, who knows how, <laughs> who knows if I might have damaged myself even more if, if I would have, uh, you know, bitched and complained and whined the whole time. I just pretty much showed up, did my job, and I didn't. I ne- I never wanted to suggest anything or or make waves. If they told me this is what we're doing tonight, I just said great. Didn't offer any any alternative or anything like that because I was just in that mode. But I put myself in that mode. Nobody else did. Yeah. Well, you're uh, a tag team champion. That's kind of something that uh, you know. How many people well, can say that? Quite a lot, obviously. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not, but come on, let's no, talk about the thousands of people that love to be able to strap that yeah. belt on for a night, you know? No, you're right, uh, man. I, I was very, very happy about that, too. I mean, it, yeah. it, look, it, it was a great time. I got to work with some cool people and, and yeah. met met some cool people and, and uh, re, realigned or uh, came back together with some cool friends that were there, too, yeah. man. And, and it was great. So, uh, how did this transition? When did you the the training start to happen? Um, did you just somebody said, "Hey, can you can you look at me?" or or how did how did that all come about? Because you said a lot of people you don't know it until you do it. And so, how did that come about for you? Because a lot well, of people can't can't do it. I mean, I mean, I've heard uh, you know uh, people tell stories about. Uh, I think it was DiBiase, but 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 he says you know that. You know, if you ask me how to do something, I can't tell you. I just do it, and that's just why do it. I'm probably yes. so good. But you can't yeah. teach it. So how how did it well, happen for you? Real quick, yeah. Like Diviasi was a, as a producer, it's the same thing, man. Trying mm-hmm. to be a producer, you 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 might be able to do it, but you to describe it and tell somebody else how to do what you do, it's not not that easy. Well, I, I was on uh, a trip home to Houston one one weekend or one couple weeks or whatever it was, and I'd gone to work out in the ring with. Uh, uh, place, uh, gosh, Tug Taylor had a ring in Houston and Tiger Conway Jr. called me and asked me if I wanted to come over and help work out with these guys. So mm-hmm. Bruce came with me again and, uh, we just got in the ring and I, I, these guys were taking each over, over in a headlock and just driving their heads into the mat and killing each other. Didn't, didn't know any other way. Mm-hmm. And I said, guys, guys, can I show you something, please? And I just demonstrated how I did the headlock and watch how it happens. You take your own bump, bam. Okay. So that just went on for, we, we were there maybe two and a half hours, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward body Donna's Chris breaks his neck. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, he's got to take some time off. I'm kind of in limbo. I'm uh, at, this is 1996. I'm 36 years old. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, my body's beat up too, man. It's just those rings at that time, by the way, were stiff as hell. They were like uh, really, really bad. Uh, uh, so this was a time when uh, they were talking about, you know, w- when we came in for Smoky Mountain, they were looking to, for a place to have talent go and learn and, and kind of like a feeder system. So yeah. they finally decided, uh, Vince finally decided that he was going to do his own. And I think that was a suggestion by Bruce that, uh, you know, I had trained some guys in Houston, helped them out before, and I might be a good trainer. And it was an opportunity. So Vince called me in the office and then, uh, asked me if I would like to start training people. And I said, I'd love to do that. I'd like the opportunity. He says, well, that means you might have to spend some time in Stanford. And I said, then I guess that means I have to spend some time in Stanford. Yeah. So, uh, I flew up to Stanford, um, and put me up at the, at the, uh, holiday Inn, I believe it was, you know, you're familiar with the holiday Inn downtown. Oh yeah. Yes. Are you familiar with the Biltmore downtown? Oh yeah. That's okay. Been... Well, that's where I eventually stayed. You nice right there, yes. Yeah. Right across from the mall. But anyway, this is the ball. Yeah, the ball. <laughs> I was spent a lot of time. Ball. Ball. You know, I lived in Norwalk for uh, oh, okay. many years. Well, so, yeah, I've no, every, I know everybody, it all. Everybody stays in Stanford for a while when you come up there, though, I think. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, he had three guys signed that summer in, in 1996. And it was uh, a bodybuilder named Hakim Albrecht, who, who made his debut in three vin- or two vignettes, I think, as Brockus, never made it on TV in a match. But, but, I worked with him in house shows and he killed me every night. Uh, Mark Henry had just got done with the Olympics, 96 Olympics. And, uh, then of course, Dwayne Johnson, he had been wrestling in Memphis, I think for the past year. And now they were going to bring him up that, uh, August and get him ready for a survivor series. So, so we went to the studio and, uh, in that, in, you know, when you walked into the studio, there's a warehouse. Yep. And we set a ring up. They had the uh, barricades around it. And, but they hated us there because it, when we bumped, it would bleed through when you're doing VOs. And, they, yeah, God, so they would have to stop down because they weren't going to interrupt the training. And it really pissed everybody off. Yeah. And, and so like edit we, one was that other yeah. wall. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, now I heard you, you wouldn't even recognize the place. So, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. But but that's how it started, man. It was just the, they wanted to get uh, uh, some talent and and start feeding it into uh, into WWF. But you know WCW, I think, had the power plant, and that was the original idea. And we did we trained in the studio, I think, for two years. Dory Funk Junior. Wow, King. at the studio, that was the school, basically. Yeah, man. And then when Cornette was there, he. Uh, we're also, well, here's the thing. I was taking all the bombs in that stiff ring and we, we, you know, the, the style was changing. Yeah. And uh, I told Bruce one night and I said, brother, man, this, this is killing me. The rings are killing me. The Southern rings had a better bounce, had a better bump ring. And Jim Cornette knew the guy that made the rings. So we talked and Vince came by one time and said, talk to me. I said, well, these rings are pretty stiff. You don't need that spring in the middle it makes it worse not better right yeah. well you know when they when they started it was hogan and andre and all the big guys so that's what they really needed they weren't taking a whole lot of those the bumps but the style yeah. was changing and so that's how we got the uh the better bump ring back then but but jim Cornette wanted to uh 
go back home. He was he was living in Connecticut for a while and hated it. Mm-hmm. And Danny Davis said OVW, so he proposed to uh, Vince to let the system go to Louisville. And I stayed in Stanford and became one of the managers, first managers for talent development. And uh, and then we we had different systems in Louisville, Cincinnati, Memphis. Uh, gosh, can't remember where else, uh, Georgia, and throughout, man. So, I mean, and once I found out, though, you know, we got in there with Dwayne Ockham and Mark Henry. Uh, I was I was doing my best to explain and show them all I could. And Dwayne was always, I mean, come on, pretty natural anyway. Yeah, he's a great athlete. Yeah, so, so that wasn't so bad. But Mark Henry uh, and Ockham were training one time, and I was trying to show them about how to hit the ropes with your right arm over the top rope. Mm. And we had gone over that and gone over that. And we had uh, a monitor, two monitors, one on the top for live, you know, you'd see what was going on in the camera facing the yeah. ring. And then bottom, we would videotape. Remember videotape. Uh, watch what we had just done. So Occam and I are by the uh, monitors watching what we had just done. And Mark gets in the ring. We see on the top monitor, Mark starts running the ropes. And he gets faster and faster and all of a sudden his arm slips through the top and second rope and his head goes in between there as well and his neck catches the top rope oh my god his ankle gets stuck in the mat in the canvas and it cracks like oh. yeah mm. this big 360 pound man mm. power lifter and this is one of the days when they had the conference at the other hotel like the exit before the office where they, the whole company had gone to so nobody is in the studio and we have to call the ambulance to come get him and they can't pick this guy up man he's 400 pounds so we we have like six guys three on each side trying to help get him in the ambulance and and i'm now having to call bruce and tell him that mark henry just broke his ankle and he's supposed to debut in two weeks oh my god yeah so that's so a fun call can i coach sure sure I <laughs> well obviously you could and, yeah. and was there a point where you said you know uh because there are people that can't i mean i made an analogy before uh the uh interviews that you know it reminds me of of you know, like the uh the baseball player um, you know, where he's, he plays and they used to actually have player managers back in the day, but uh, not everybody can teach. And, and, uh, did you realize, yeah, I can do this because uh, it's not easy. I mean, to really be and be a, a good one. Uh, or did you just always kind of like, just, this is how I'm doing it. So I guess no, they're no, learning. No. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I think I, I did realize I could do it. I realized I enjoyed it, uh, especially with somebody who was having a hard time or, or struggling along. Yeah, there's a lot of psychology to it. I mean, you're like, a, you know, like they say, a football coach, you know, you've got a, you've got the one guy who needs the praise. He needs There's yes. another guy you got to knock down. I mean, is that kind of the same? Exactly. Approach? Not too much distance between a pat in the back and a kick in the ass, man. Yeah. You just got to figure out which one to do and on which, which day. <laughs> yeah, you really do. And that's, that's I think that's the the tricky part of it, but it's also the cool part of it because uh, you, you find the ones who do and you find the ones who don't. So, uh, yeah, I found out that it, that I liked it. I, I found out that uh, when somebody gets it, that's gratifying. And I find out when they don't, it's it's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. 
Well, so many great names. So, I mean, uh, Kurt Angle, who was a, a, a great athlete, but you know, it's not like, because even if these guys were wrestlers, it's not the same thing. And was his transition uh, an easy one because he picked things up or, or was it tougher than people might realize? No, no, no. Kurt was great. Kurt really did get it from day one because the first time before we ever locked up, I looked at him and said, Kurt, I have nothing to prove to you. Just want you to know that. So when we lock up, we're going to lock up like this. Yeah. Please understand that. I'm not going to try you. I don't want to try you. I have nothing. And he kind of laughed because I was saying it just like that. But when we locked up, he got it. And, and we're dancing in there and that's what it is. And Kurt followed me. He, he was easy. He went with it. It's, it's not the thing about this is it's not as easy as people think it is, even though it really is. Once you understand what you're doing, once you understand, um, you, it, it's so you, you say be intense, but relax. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> lay it in, but, but don't kill me, you know, right. hit and save places. Well, what does that mean? You know, be intense, relax, hit and save places. What do you do? You know, well, well, don't have any air. Don't, don't see any daylight in between your holes. Well, but at the same time, there's no such thing as rest holds. And that's why I hate yeah. when people say a chin lock is a rest hold. No, it's not. And you have to explain that and, and show them and make them understand what you're telling and what you're doing, what you're saying and what you're doing, not telling. Yeah. But, and, and, but Kurt was great, yeah. Yeah, but people don't realize how much work goes into making it look easy. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty exactly. Much, yeah. No, you're yeah. right. You're right. They really don't because it, it's it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. So is there is there a, a superstar or someone that uh, was very well known that was a real tough case that you trained? Um, gosh. And then got it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's uh, a matter of, uh, gosh, let me think because, you know, Titus, let me say this, Titus O'Neill is a guy when he first came to us in Tampa, uh, good friends with Batista. He walked in yeah. one day, just in through the back door and you know, he looks good. He looks like somebody, but, but man, he was, he was never shy. And he, he just said, I want to wrestle Dave Batista told me to come down and see you guys. Well, I'm in the middle of class and I told him, man, you got to come back later because Steve Kern will be here and, and Kern will be able to give you a little more information. Yeah. Well, he came back and he didn't get it right at first, but as I've watched him progress, he's, he's gotten so much better over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think the only thing he's missing is, is that peace. And when he connects, I mean, he's doing all these philanthropic, uh, events and, and, mm -hmm. and he, he's on the 100 top 100 ebony list, I guess too, just was named. He, he's doing these great things and he's valuable to the company right. and he, and he, and he's gotten a lot, a lot better, but you know, in the beginning it was tough. It was very, very tough. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that, uh, uh, Batista was not a natural as a, as a matter of fact, in OVW, I think he struggled a bit finding out who he really was. And then Dave had a shy streak too. Uh, but once he, he broke out of it, man, he, he really did. And he's doing, obviously he's doing pretty good now for himself too. So. Yeah, well, the list is so long. I mean, I could sit here and name, I mean, Dolph and Ziggler and, and uh, I guess the Bella twins. You, I mean, you, the list goes I, on and on. Can, uh, can I say uh, something real quick? Because I was not sold on Dolph in the beginning either. I really wasn't, but, but God yeah. almighty, I mean, what, what, a, what a great 
worker he is too. But man, in yeah. the beginning, I just I just couldn't see it. And then finally, uh, I don't know if it was just one match, but finally, just watching him and and seeing his evolution from Kerwin White or or whatever he was doing with Chavo, uh, he he finally clicked and he finally got it. And he, and I think he's a great performer. Yeah. And and then uh, I wanted to ask about both McMahon's. Uh, you know, Shane. Uh, who I remember, he was just in college, and uh, and I've seen some of the things that he's done in the ring. I, I I'm just I, I don't understand why he puts his body through what he's done. But was was training him? Was he? Uh, I've seen him do some incredible, uh, you know, bumps in the ring. Uh, what was that experience like with him? Was he just ready to to go, and you have to just yeah him back? No, yeah, you had to hold him back. He was one of those guys too. But see, he'd oh been he had been working out with Shamrock too because he likes all that grappling stuff. Yeah, and I didn't want to grapple, man. I was hurting. I just want to get in there and work and do whatever we were doing. But but he wanted to grapple, and I would just kind of try and turtle on him like Sheik did to me. But he would hook me over, and 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 he was just a tiger, man. He he didn't want to go or he didn't want to stop. He, he he only knew one speed, and that that was go. Vince. Vince was was kind of playful. Vince kind of he could hurt you just playing though. But Shane was always uh, up for for trying something new. I remember the first time he did the uh, uh, coast to coast, and I held the trash can there for me, and we we taped it at the studio, so he could see it. Man, well, I kept taking the trash can. It doesn't really hurt, but you never know when he's coming, and you don't know what to expect. I mean, he never he never hurt me, uh, but but he was pretty solid. Very, very soft. And he's got to hit you with it right, too. Oh, God, yes. Yes, he does. I mean, you know, and you, that's you, another you, thing that always amazes me with people, though. And and they talk about what, however they want to say the guy. But they, they, they don't understand that it is, you talk about a game of inches. Yes. Uh, between really getting hurt. So that's why when you've got guys that you trust in there, but all it takes is one misstep, one, and, you know, you take a guy out for weeks. Well, um, you, you know the 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 cage match with Austin, where we we practice that that bump with Vince off the cage onto the table. We we had uh, bump pads out there, but we measured exactly how far it was, yeah. and I think he did it three times off the cage, and each time he landed perfect. But in the match, he lands on the edge of the oh, table yeah, and bruised yeah. his tailbone pretty bad. I mean, so yeah, it is just a just a matter of inches. And and what was it like training Vince? I mean, because could you really separate and say, okay, dude, this. I know you're the, you know, the, the, the boss of this company. We all know Vince and the intimate, how intimidating he can be, but were you able to at point to say, look, I'm going to train you and you got to do what I need you to do. I mean, how was that relationship? Like it had to be, were we able to, did you separate the two? Because, you know, he's your boss on one side, but at the same time, you've got to, you've got to train him the same way you do everybody else. Otherwise he's not going to learn. Right. Well, eventually it, it got to be that point. Uh, but I've said it before, you know, there's, there's the boss Vince, the intimidating Vince, and then there's that yeah. cool Vince, you know, have you been out with Vents and you know, the cool Vents, right? Yeah. So, there, so there's that's, a, a few moments in time. Yeah. Yes, I do. Remember yeah. Where, where he empathizes, <laughs> right. There yeah. you go. Where he empathizes. The rest of the time is he, he over, he's over and he wants to talk to you like, oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's kind of how it was yeah. when training. The cool events would come over to the studio and we, we he could laugh yeah. and, and we could talk, but eventually what we would do, he would stretch out for a good 15 minutes, man. I mean, he's, and he was pretty limber back then too. 
Um, and we would train sometimes at 11 o'clock at night because he'd been working all day and just, just kept putting it off, putting it off. Hours. It off. Yeah, that's just, yeah. yeah, events hours. Exactly. So, uh, he would just, after he'd start stretching out or he would come up and then I would start walking and he would start circling and he'd go, come on, pal. And we would lock up and I would lead him across the ring and lead him to the ring. And, and he's very, um, animated and I don't want to say clumsy, but I have to say clumsy. Uh, he, he can hurt you if he wants to, but, but he would lay those punches in and, uh, I would just cover up, but he's laying the punches in, man. He's not going to let him crap out of you. But no, when we were training like that, he was a cool events and you could talk to him and you could tell, tell him what you wanted to do and tell him if he had an idea. We, we did a few stunners one time too, or a couple of times mm-hmm. we did stunners, uh, you know, getting ready for Austin. Yeah. But, but yeah, man, I could, I could, uh, separate that for a while. I was never as close as seeing Bruce were, but you know, you got to a point we had some heart to hearts. And we got in the ring and we actually worked out. Well, I tell you, you pulled it off with both of them. I, I, you know, the stuff I've seen over the years, I mean, they, they did some, some uh, bumps in there that I just thought were pretty unbelievable. Um, and, and that's one thing I do want to talk about. You know, I mentioned what, like Shane, some of the stuff he's done and even recently where, you know, you'd fallen off three story, uh, levels and, you know, just that, that, uh, bit that with, with Kurt, when he went through the window and, uh, are you concerned today? with um where they're taking it because you started to see some of this happening i guess in the late 90s or whatever but now it's it seems like the bar uh is just so high now and they have to keep you know outdoing each other and even with the independence now you look at some of the stuff these guys are doing you know the flips over the top rope onto the floor you're at the mercy of making sure these guys catch you uh, does it concern you what, what you're seeing out there now? Uh, I think it only concerns me in the fact that you're going to be so redundant that you're right. The next thing you're going to have to do is jump off a cliff with no parachute. Yeah, I mean, what, and, and somebody's yeah. going to I mean, get really yeah. hurt. I mean, these are, this is paralyzed uh, for life or dead. Yeah. Some and of it, these things. It, it's happened before, you know, draws yeah. draws got hurt just with a simple move. So, I mean, yeah. a lot of these guys think it's cool and it's great. Um, but that's where the storytelling comes in. We, we really can't right. use the F word. We can't use the F word on here, can we? Sure you can. Oh, can't. Well, here, here's, here's a great explanation. to uh, our product, I'd bring it, it, it on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, here's, here's, here's one of the ways I describe it. You know, cause I, I've been to some independent shows before where people go, holy shit, holy shit. All right. Well, if the first match goes out. And they do all these great moves and the flip flops and outside the ring and high flying stuff and everybody goes holy shit holy or, or yeah. holy shit, um, or better yet, I'm sorry that uh, I was going to another story. If you if you walk into your house and there's or walk into a building, yeah. and, and and there's uh, two elephants outside fucking, mm-hmm. okay, and you come in and you say holy shit, there's two elephants out there fucking holy shit. If you come in the next day uh, and those two elephants are still out there fucking, go, holy shit, those elephants are still out there fucking. By the third day, you're going, oh, there's those fucking elephants. It kind of (laughs) goes down. You know what I mean? It it, it kind of gets redundant and it it loses its effect. So if the first match does this shit, boom, 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 holy shit, holy shit. Second match does the same thing, holy shit. Third match was like, oh, holy shit, what's with the concession stand? You know, so. If you do all this stuff, it's great up until the fact that now, what do you do next? I, I, it, it, it concerns me because there's, if you, 
for anybody listening, if you watch Savage Steamboat from WrestleMania three, yeah. uh, it's storytelling. Classic. Randy does some high flying stuff. Yes, but but it's not flip flop and fly. It's it's storytelling in the ring. That's why it was so mythical and magical and all this other stuff that to even to this day but that's the art form of this it's not about how much you can do it's what you do in between the moves it's, it's how you do what you do and why uh why everything should mean something and that that's being lost because i think and again I think it was the same big show interview I read that maybe the audience has changed. Maybe the, the guys have changed that, that this is what they want now. I, I don't know, but I still believe in my heart of hearts. I still believe if you have two guys who are feeling what they're doing and they believe in what they're doing, uh, in the ring, this is the greatest improv business in the world. And too, too many guys go out there and call a B C D E and it's, it's spot fest, spot fest, spot fest. Yeah. You know, if you just go out there and you feel it and you believe it and you listen to the crowd and you, and you know how to wrestle slash work, you can get the same, if not better reaction. And that, it, that goes back to training. That goes back to, to you, these guys have never seen it live. I got to watch again, going back to my childhood, got to watch some of the greatest workers draw me in and make me believe what they were doing because they believed what they were doing today. I don't know if all the guys believe what they're doing. They just do spot, 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 get up and they do their show. They do their stuff. The other guy does his stuff and that's what it's become. Yeah. And tell and, and you, 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 you nailed it. I mean, it's, it's telling stories and, you know, it's that's why I like some of this. Uh, what I'm seeing, like with uh, some like Nick Aldis, when I had him on, he was talking about you know uh, having this big fight feel to these to a title match where they do a weigh in and then they have the, the the ring instructions in the middle of the ring. Well, you know that just it's like take me along, take me with you. Now, okay, now you're setting up. Boy, these guys really don't like each other, you know. And and uh, I, I I hope that that's. Maybe the independents can really uh, start bringing a lot of that back because uh, I I think that uh, there's so many more opportunities out there. And, and with that, getting back to the school that uh, you guys have uh, opening uh, in January, uh, what is your philosophy now behind that? Now, you're going to – it's all-encompassing. This isn't just come in, uh, learn how to uh, do some moves, and we're going to you know give you a certificate. This is all, right. like you said, five nights a week. Uh, uh, well, to walk me through it, because I know there's, there's there's a big plan behind this to have these people uh, that do make it. Uh, right, right. Well, what, so we, we, we are we are planning the all-encompassing uh, psychology. Why a lot of people don't understand why uh, you do what you do in the ring, and we're going to go over all of that, man. But turning five nights a week, the only way you're going to learn this is repetition, repetition, repetition. Mm -hmm. You can't learn it one night and or two nights a week. You, you, you can pick up some things, but the only way you're going to get better at this or really anything is doing it over and over and over. And you know, the 10,000 hour rule, uh, <laughs> you, you've, yeah. you've got to be involved. You've got to, uh, and I understand life gets in the way sometimes, but yeah. this is what we're going to teach. This is what we're going to go over. Uh, we're going to record matches. We're going to watch them back. We're going to pick it apart. We're going to show you matches. We're going to explain why this happened. There's a, there's a famous match. I believe it's in 1963. Yes, 1963. Pat O'Connor versus 
uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers for the NWA World Championship, two out of three fall matches. And I tell everybody, look, you cannot do this match today, but I just want to show you for the storytelling, and I want to explain what these guys are doing. I'm not saying do this match. I'm saying watch the emotion, watch the feeling, watch the footwork, watch the body language. There's not a wasted movement. You, you talk about Nick saying the uh, big match feel. This is a big match feel. It's in Chicago, mm-hmm. and and the fans are right there. There's even a sign in the uh, second row that said the fix is in. Everybody knows it's a work. Everybody knows that Rogers is going to get the title, but they don't care. They're still into the match, and this is what we're going to go over. We're going to watch a lot of matches. Uh, we're going to do a lot of matches. We're going to do some drills. We're going to we're going to have matches where you get to understand. If you have a basic, I have a man in the middle drill, and there's these various maneuvers and various spots that go along with it, but you tell a story, and it's everything in between. It's all connected, and once you find out and figure it out, you don't have to think. Don't think. Just go in there and do what I tell you to do. Follow this rule. Follow it and see where it takes you. See if you feel it. See if you get it, because before the Ricky Steamboat arm drag it was Jack Briscoe's arm drag. So right. everybody steals from everybody. You might see something uh, that you can make your own. Mick Foley needed a finish when he was mankind. There was a guy named Dr. Sam Shepard who was in the business a very short period of time. And only really hardcore wrestling fans or wrestling people would understand this or, or know this. Mm-hmm. He had the mandible claw right. and he used it. And, and that's Jim Cornette, you know, mm-hmm. Nick called Jim and said, I need this finish. And Jim knew about Sam Shepard and said, use this. It'll work with everybody. So you might find something, uh, you know, there's, there's a guy named Abe Jacobs. Um, he did a thing called the Kiwi roll and Jerry Briscoe came to me one day cause I'm pushing this guy to get him on and get him a shot. And he says, I'll tell you what, if he can find out how to do the Kiwi roll, because Abe Jacobs did it years ago, and I, I still don't know how he did it. I, I, I remember how it goes, but I don't remember how he went into it. And I went back to this guy who was in Louisville at the time. Actually, uh, Simon Dean was his, was the guy I'm talking about. Yeah. Simon Dean found this. He researched it, researched it. He did the Kiwi roll for Briscoe, and it got him his job. <laughs> so what I'm saying is what's old – can be new again. You can't do everything that was done in the 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s. No, there has to be new. But at the same time, if you do something different, real quick, Dean Ambrose, one night in Punta Gorda, I think it was, in Florida, all he did was a simple back rake. But the way he did it, he raked the guy's back slow, and you actually saw marks on the guy's back. He didn't scrape him, but you saw the red marks on his back. Little things. When you slap your leg in the ring, people see that. I hate it, man. Yeah. I, I, it's one of those things when anybody slaps their leg, I want to, I cringe. Mm-hmm. But there, I saw it the other night in North Carolina, first, second, third match. Everybody slapping their leg yeah. or slapping their chest when you punch. Or pounding the foot, yeah, when they punch. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not how it goes. That's yeah. not what it is. When you when you can watch MMA fights today and you see guys actually get punched. Right. In the you know there's comparisons now so you have to make it real even though everybody knows it's a work well don't tell them everything is a work because when brock lesnar gets in the ring i keep going back to brock because he is as real as it gets 
but he is a business man. He would not go in there and intentionally hurt someone unless they knew his forearms were coming, his elbows were coming at the end of the, at the, end of the match, wherever it happens. If it happens, it happens. But that's part of being a pro. That's part of being in this business. Things will happen to get that believability, to get the air of reality, to get that authenticity. And what's missing a lot of times is authenticity. Brock is as authentic as you want to get. Paul Heyman, his manager, is authentic as you want to get. And I'll say another guy, Jim Cornette, is authentic as you want to get because he is who he is outside the ring. Absolutely. yeah, and that's that's what we're going to teach at the school. We're going to go back to that. We're going to explain if you can feel it, everybody else will feel it too. And you can't be afraid. You have to have conviction. You've got to believe who you are, and you've got to you, you've got to have confidence. And I think a good coach will instill confidence in his players and his in his uh, uh, people he's training. Uh, and know again, you know, who to pat on the back and who to kick in the ass. Cause you're right. People react differently. And that's what we're going to do for five nights a week. And we start our first class, January 7th, January 3rd is an open house at D one. Our website, Sean is JP wrestling academy.com. You can get all the information, pricing, uh, address to the gym, everything else. Um, we're, we will, we are working right now on having housing for anyone who wants to move to Knoxville for the next four months. This is a 16-week program for the first wow. shot. The next two uh, uh, programs will be 12 weeks. Uh, the second one starts May 6th, goes through July 22nd, uh, 26th, and the third one goes from August 5th to October 25th for 12 weeks as well. So we will have housing available. We're just working on the uh, details right now uh-huh. and what we need to set up. Yeah, and um, I know it's limited how many people you're going to take because it's going to be very much, uh, you know, intensive and, and uh, you know, you working with these guys. Did they? Is there an elimination? I mean, you're going to have a lot of response to this, I imagine, uh, you know, of, of them getting in or is it a first serve? It, uh, it's a first come, first serve. We, uh, I, I hate to say the number, but I'm going to have to say we're, we're taking 20 people per class wow. and that's it, man. I, I'd love to take more. Uh, it would be great, but I'm going to be teaching this. I'm going to be hands-on, and uh, I know it. Look, I'm I'm well aware uh, that a wrestling school is suspect to a lot of people. I get that, um, but we're we're here to teach you the business the right way. Uh, if you want to go to a school, I always say this. Go somewhere and check out who is training you, where they've been. Do they have connections? Can they help you after you've been done training? And once you've been done training, uh, not everybody's going to be ready. But you can come back and we'll help you. And we'll we'll figure that out as we go along too. Uh, once we're done, if you need more training, we're going to have different hours as well. Yeah, and uh, how much is the mayor going to be able to uh, be involved in this? Well, he uh, is. Uh, we we had to talk about that. No, <laughs> yeah. we did. We had, we had to talk about that uh, just last week. He is going to stop by. He is. He's mainly an investor, obviously, because he's he's taking care of Knox County business, and uh, uh, obviously that's county to run. Of course he does, but he, he, this will be at night. So he will stop by and he, he is interested in who, who we can get because it's a feather in his cap as well. Yeah. He wants to make this, uh, the, well, I want to make this as well. The premier training facility in, in East Tennessee and hopefully on the East coast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sounds awesome. And I, I, 
Uh, again, folks, if you're listening and you want more information, information is jpwrestlingacademy.com, jpwrestlingacademy.com. And uh, do you uh, foresee uh, doing advanced classes after you get going? You know, maybe you're going to have, a, uh, you know, people that are going to stay with you. Uh, do you see that in the future as well? Yes, definitely we okay. do. We, we actually talked about doing uh, classes for guys who are already who are already in the business maybe a two-week course so people who can't move down necessarily and stay for right. a while so yeah, yeah we're, we've talked about that too we just i just have to program it and schedule it um either before and certainly not after 10 o'clock but what time before uh, everybody can come in and uh and work it out from there but yes most definitely and i will have all the updates on the website as well and uh, anybody has any questions, they can also get me on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we really want to make this work uh, for everybody who comes in and wants to be a professional wrestler who really has it in their heart. We're not doing it just to, I use the, the term play wrestle and, and play wrestler. No, this is just going to be intense. It's going to be uh serious we're, we're we're doing this this is the same program that i used in fcw mm-hmm. and this was what got what got what got everyone ready for wwe so yeah. uh this is where we're at yeah well and it seems like you're taking it beyond that now and another chapter in your life uh tom i mean really it's it's awesome and real it, it is ripe i think the industry uh, as I mentioned, when I left Chicago, I was so optimistic after being, you know, for years going, man, what's going on? But uh, really, I think you're going to be a part of it. It's it's changing again. And, and to me, all for the good for the industry. So uh, really want to thank you for coming on. Best of luck with that. And I'm going to get you. I hope I can get you back on after you guys are a few uh, months down the road and, and you can tell us how it's going. And, uh, you know, maybe you got some great prospects. You can say that uh, look out for these guys or these guys are these women i imagine uh, as well so it's pretty cool yeah it is very cool as a matter of fact we already have a 16 year old little girl who's been wrestling i think since she was 14 over in uh Sevierville, tennessee and her family is very very supportive and uh, uh mckenzie is her name by the way she will be part of our class look very forward to seeing what she does too but if you don't mind i'll just text you from time to time too and let you know what's Please. going on yeah, yeah I'll, fantastic I'll, I'll, I'll tell folks who are listening Every week. Fantastic. All right, Tom. Well, uh, thanks again, man. And, it, and it's been an, uh, awesome. I'm, I'm sorry it took so many years for us to uh, sit down and have a chat. but uh, Well, I'm glad we did. No, it, it yeah. was very, very cool, man. I appreciate uh, it, you know the invite. I appreciate coming up and saying something to me and having me on, man. It was very, very cool. All right, man. We'll be in touch. Thanks. Well, it was uh, great talking with the doctor, Dr. Tom Pritchard. Uh, you know, it's it's funny, especially when you do this and we're not sitting in front of each other, you know, uh, and and I hear his voice and it's like I'm talking to Bruce. I mean, their voices are very similar. I'm sure you maybe you heard it uh, when you were listening. And, uh, you know, I, I, he does a few voices, too. He did a good Dusty and uh, the one he did, Terry Funk, was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, it's funny because, you know, when I worked for the WWF and as I mentioned, you know, Bruce was basically my first boss. And he was really young at the time, and and uh, you know we we had our days. But uh, I really do owe, owe a debt to Bruce. Uh, he taught me a lot in the business, and and Tom. He used to talk about Tom because this is when you know Tom was really uh, 
kind of in the midst of really trying to make it. He was do, doing a lot of uh, great things in, in the world of wrestling. I didn't, you couldn't see him, you know, do this because they didn't have the programming and being able to see all this, but he was kind of this mythical figure that uh, Bruce talked about all the time and, and uh, never really, we crossed paths path a couple of times. He'd come to a few shows or whatever, but that was really when I saw him at WrestleCade. is the first time we actually had a chance to chat and uh, really enjoyed that conversation. But Tom, you know, has really found, uh, besides what he accomplished in the ring, another gift, and that's training wrestlers. And now he has this new school that's going to be uh, coming out in uh, in uh, Tennessee. It's uh, the uh, jpwrestlingacademy.com is the website, guys. It's uh, uh, Jacobs Pritchard, you know, wrestling school. And I, I think that, you know, he understands where the business is right now. And I, I I'm very optimistic that he's going to be able to uh, turn out some, some superstars that we're going to be seeing in the future. Uh, you can check out and get more information. If uh, you, you want to find out uh, more about it at uh, JP wrestling That's JP wrestling And uh, once again, I want to thank Tom for coming on. I, I plan to keep in touch with him and, and uh, see how they're doing. Uh, Got to thank our sponsor blue chew. Uh, we all need to have that confidence in the boudoir, and uh, you can do that with Blue Chew. That's bluechew.com. And remember, we have a very special offer for our listeners. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website. That's uh, bluechew.com. I like the color, B-L-U-E, chew.com, and use the promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get your first shipment absolutely free, guys. Uh, just use the, the promo code PRIMETIME. And you just uh, will pay the $5 for shipping. And, um, you know, it's going to be right there to your door. So Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And, of course, we thank them for being one of our great sponsors here. Uh, you know, and as I mentioned, that's what keeps us uh, keeps these podcasts coming. So if it's something you're interested in uh, and all of our great sponsors, please, please uh, use those sponsors. Uh, also tune in to the edge and Christian show. It reeks of awesomeness. Of course it does, especially this week because Mooney's is out the new episode <laughs> that, uh, I, uh, got a chance to be a part of, and we really did have a blast in, in so many great, uh, superstars involved. I mean, Vicky's there and Santino and uh, Carlito, uh, makes an appearance there. And uh, Tommy Dreamer, of course, and he's hilarious. But we just had a blast. I hope you'll check out the episode because it was a lot of fun. Okay? So that's going to do it for this week. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you can email me at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. And uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. Guys, if I have pictures that uh, I owe you from, of course, our watch-alongs, Please email me if they haven't got to you. And I set out a bunch this week, so give it a few days. But um, they're on the way. I, I, but if not, if you don't get one by next week, email me, and uh, I'll take care of it. Make sure you get it, okay? All right, and I wasn't going to mention this, but I can't, you know, I, after thinking about it, uh, what the heck, I'm going to take a chance. I, we haven't had the conversation yet, but as I talked about the Edge and Christian show, and it's out this week, and I wanted to get, you know, I had uh, Adam on. Uh, our edge on before. Uh, so Christian is, is, uh, scheduled <laughs> to be on, uh, next week. So, uh, I'm going to go with that. Uh, he's a busy guy, but I think we're set to go and we've gone back and forth on this. 
But you know, when we do get together, it's going to be a great conversation. That is happening next week. I'm just going to say it. So, uh, Christian, you're you're on. You, you, you're booked now, so you got to do it. Uh, anyway, with that, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Lots more coming your way. We've got uh, plans for another watch-along I'll be telling you about in the coming weeks. In the meantime, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. <laughs>